Hey, hey, I'm checking in. It's been a very long time. And, uh, you know, I recorded a couple of episodes between now and the last time that I published, but, you know, like I brought them up on my editor and <laughs> I don't know what happened. <laughs> I could just never quite get through them enough to post it. Or it's like, there's a certain, you know, when I'm feeling passionate about a moment and then it's fleeting and then you sabotage yourself when you go back and you listen to that same thing when you're in a different state, right? That you can't resonate with in terms of what you recorded because it's in the past and it's in a different state of being. And I feel like, you know, (laughs) there's this thing where you should be prepared and polished you know, unsure what you're saying, but at the same time, there needs to be an aspect of vulnerability in what you're sharing with the world, you know, like, like, there's this thing I've referred to before where, um, the lady that wrote Eat, Pray, Love, um, uh, Elizabeth Gilbert, that's her name, and she, she does this wonderful TED Talk on, how inspiration is sort of, it's an entity that is separate from you, right? The entity is, is the skill, is the creative art form. And then it, out of nowhere, it will hit you. It will pass through you. It will possess you. And then in that moment, you have to execute the creative art form. And, you know, and I really resonate with that, you know, being a very creative person, very intuitive and emotional woman, you know, like the worst thing you can do is to be passionate and let something hit you in the moment and then try to analyze it later when you're in a different state of mind and state of being. Because I just think, I feel like it takes away from, from the thing, whatever that was, you know? So there's been a couple times where I've had a couple passionate moments where I've gone in depth and talked about some stuff right and then my analytical brain to my demise I'm trying to like edit it and like perfect my craft right but there it's like how do you it's almost I don't know I I almost prefer to just be vulnerable and just wing it and then put it up and then I think the more that I try to control that process it's where it stalls me completely and things don't go forward so it's been a very long time since my last um, uh, publication of an episode. And so I think even before the new year, which is bizarre because I can remember talking about <laughs> a bunch of stuff, <laughs> recording an episode. And um, so I'm touching base now and uh, lots has changed. And, you know, I'm going to fill you in on some of my life stuff because, I mean... I, you know, I, I love listening. If if somebody, somebody was to fill me in on their life stuff, I'd be like, yeah, okay. Hit me with it. Right. I, I feel like this, this podcast is more about, you know, being, just being myself. And, and a part of that is a full-time single mother. And, um, the takeaway overall in these episodes is I hope that somebody just kind of 
observes the way that my mind works and the things that I go through realistically and in my sharing them, just sometimes the day-to-day stuff, right? And and they feel more normal. <laughs> so, you know, um, so much has changed. It's just been crazy, you know? So, so we're talking about before Christmas here. Uh, so I live on Vancouver Island. I made the move here. I've lived all over BC, BC my whole life, right? I just moved down recently from Smithers. I've been in Sydney on Vancouver Island, which is basically Victoria, just like a kind of a little oceanside ritzy village on the end of a peninsula. Um, And I've been here for a year and a half now. And ever since I got here, I've been fighting this feeling of, I don't like it here. I don't belong here. You know, like... (laughs) the whole time. And, and I, and I always try to give myself a year before I make any moves. I'm like, okay, cause it takes a year to get situated anywhere and to really find your footing and, you know, go through that transition, which is a hard one, right. To change your life. Even though like I've been on the move forever, you know, for over a decade now and move around quite frequently and let go of things and detach and whatever, but it's still, I think it's a very human thing, you know, we attach to things and we nest. So I try to, you know, be on the outside of what I'm currently feeling, right? I think I learned that from having a period, to be honest, (laughs) because when you're PMSing, like things can get so erratic and irrational And you have to remind yourself when you're having a period and you're feeling all of these things as a woman, you're like, this isn't reality. This isn't actually how I normally feel day to day. And so I need to be on the observer perspective and realize that my hormones are changing drastically and that, you know, um, and I can't trust these emotions that are coming up for me right now. So I try to apply this in my life, whenever I know that there are things that I'm adjusting to or whatever, right? So if I'm going through grief, you know, if I've just lost a family member or something, I try to have a lot more grace and, grace and patience around myself. And I'll be like, okay, you're, you, you might be going through grief. You might ex- be experiencing some grief, you know, if, I, if I'm being more sensitive about something and you know, if I've just moved, I know that from the data that I've gathered about myself, that after a year, I do start to feel like I'm, I'm more connected to where things are in town and the shift and whatever. Um, and so I can detach myself from the emotions that I'm feeling in the moment and be like, okay, you are still getting settled. So you can't take what you're emotionally feeling seriously. So be in the observer's mind. You can't trust, you know, what you think you're feeling. And so I feel like that's a huge part of being a female as you have to be able to detach from the emotions that are coming up from certain circumstances. You have to look at the things that you're dealing with in your life and be rational about them, right? So am I just breaking up with somebody? Did I just lose a job? Did I move? Did I just have a a pet die? You know, yada, yada, yada. Am I on my period? You know, have I been having 
a harder period than than usual, right? So you have to be able to look at things from a rational perspective and realize that women are very, we are very emotional creatures. And so any sort of emotional stimulus is totally going to throw us off track, right? So for that reason, and that reason alone, I do not trust the thoughts that come into my head and my impulses for the first year that I move somewhere. So I've had the feeling that I do not like it here since I moved here, but I have had the commitment to see it through for at least at least a year and see if I can problem solve on any of the issues that I'm having, you know, and things like I'm, I'm in the city now, right? Sydney is a, a town of 11,000 people, which is just over double Smithers, where I just came from Smithers with 5,000. And, um, you know, so the people, the privacy, the culture, the demographic, the noise, um, it's really noisy here. There's an airport in Sydney, the main airport, there's a ferry in Sydney. Um, and there is, because it's such a tropical climate, there is constant lawnmowers, weed whackers, leaf blowers <laughs> going at all times of the day as soon as it starts to get warm out. And my backyard is so open that any one of my five neighbors that I'm adjacent to can watch me and see everything that I'm doing, you know, anytime I'm in my yard, right? And my dogs are spirited and I do not try to control and cage them like a lot of city people do. You know, I can get more into that at some other point. I just don't want to make this a podcast about dogs or an episode about dogs rather. But so like their well-being, their health has been going downhill because I find I'm taking them to less and less places You know, I'm a nature person. Simplicity is everything to me. I can live outside. I can live in my car. I can like, I'm happiest when I'm, when I am challenged with like, like I feel like I'm such a resourceful person that I don't do well with an abundance of things. I don't do well with too much comfort and too much luxury I am not used to that. I do not grow up in that. I do not thrive in that. You know, I feel the most useful and content and alive when I have simplicity in my life. You know, it's just like there's a human condition where it's like more, 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 right? It's For example, it's like, you know, so you got one nice warm comforter. It's just made out of cotton, okay? And... You know, the next step up from that would be, oh, this $300 down duvet made organically from from goose down feathers. And then we're, you know, going to buy a a silk comforter cover, um, a duvet cover for that 100% silk, you know, all the way from wherever authentic silk comes from. And $500 later, you've got the same warmth. (laughs) I mean, yeah, sure. Okay. All the differences, whatever, but it's warmth. It's a blanket like you. So apply this human condition to everything, right? Like I love quirky falling apart houses. Those are my favorite. The house that I live in now is like even just the regulations for what a house needs to have now. It doesn't make any sense to me. 
we don't need a lot. We really don't need what we think that we need, you know, as a human. And all I see is excess everywhere that I go, right? In food, in in comfort, in like our technology, in our in our vehicles, like it's just excess, excess, excess. And I live in this rich people village where everything is in abundance, even my house. The only reason I got this house was because it had a big yard and enough space for my dogs, right? You can't get a smaller space and have three large huskies. They're not going to rent to you. Not a fucking chance. So I'm living in this luxury neighborhood with, you know, perfectly manicured lawns going off, pardon me, all day long. So much space. And I could feel myself over the last year getting more and more soft and complacent because I'm not spending as much time outside. The nearest place I can go where there's actual nature without a bunch of roads and trails and all that shit, just raw nature, is at least two hours. And even in these places, because Vancouver Island is getting so busy now, there's so many people moving here now. It's insane. Like, like just to put it, things into perspective, um, the camping website like for BC, for Vancouver Island, books up within 10 minutes of opening every year now. So, you know, those places I used to go to and bring my dogs off leash, right? Um, I can't even go there anymore because there's so many rules you have to have your dog on leash. There's people patrolling now and will give you fines. And there's so many other people with their city dogs and their, you know, just behavior that I don't resonate with. Like I feel trapped. I'm not used to, I don't like concrete and noise and politics and, you know, nosy neighbors and overweight people thinking that they're healthy and you know like because of how their status is in life and all the abundance that they have right but like you look at them and you can see the sickness on their body but you know oh they're rich so you know they're doing well like I just don't (laughs) this has been eating away at me ever since I've been here and and now it's gotten to the point where I don't leave my house I don't leave my house with my dogs. I used to take them. There's an off-leash dog park about a 10-minute drive from here. And I used to bring Paloma, my youngest, especially because he's just got so much energy being a puppy. He's just a year old. And I've gotten in too many like altercations with people. He's the most well-behaved dog I've ever had. He gets along with small dogs, with children, with adults, whatever. He's not neutered because I refuse and I don't believe in neutering a dog until they're at least two because of their growth hormones. I've seen too many dogs that get fixed at even eight months, you know, and dogs aren't done growing until at least two years. And as soon as you fix them, it completely cuts off their growth hormone. So that's where they're going to stay the rest of their lives. And a lot of their you know, bone development, whatever kind of development on so many levels is still happening. It gets cut off, right? Because veterinarians in the city will be like, oh, get them as fixed as soon as possible. 
you know, blah, 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 shots, yada, 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 which I also don't believe in. It's all just a money grab. There's so much monetary influence in so much of city life that I don't, you know, like I don't, I, I prefer to do everything myself. Whereas in the city, in rich peopleville, it's like people pervert, prefer to pay people to do the things that are in their life, right? Mow the lawn, wash the windows, clean your house, watch your kids. There are paid positions for all of these things for rich people, right? And I'm very, I have so much pride. Like I could never pay somebody to come to my house and pick up my dog shit. You know, like I just don't, I can't, I, it just feels wrong to me. Like why the fuck would I have dogs if I can't pick up after their dog shit? You know, like I just, why would I have kids if I can't love them and watch them? Like I just, like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> my point is that, let's see, where where's my point? My, my dogs are suffering, right? We're, we're now recluses at my house. I don't go out. I'm just so sick of, you know, last time I was at the dog park, I think that's where I was going with this, is that um, I noticed that there was this guy that was going there frequently. And he would, as soon as Paloma would come up to his dog, he would take him in the opposite direction and go completely around the perimeter of the entire dog park and go out of his way to avoid him like the black plague. And this really hurt my feelings because Paloma is such a sweetheart. He's such a good, good dog. And I've never seen him, you know, attack or be super aggressive or bad behave towards another dog. And I had enough of it. I watched this guy do this over and over and over again. And I ran into him. I was literally oncoming and he went the exact opposite direction, just like he does every single time. And then I called to him and I'm like, I was like, excuse me. I was like, why do you hate my dog so much? You go in the opposite direction of him, you know? And then he went on to tell me, I don't trust him. He came up snarling, you know, da 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 da, right? And and told me this bit about my dog ripping off the collar of his dog and and something just this crazy story. And I'm like like what when did this happen? What like what what are you talking about? This guy has been present watching my like I've seen this guy so many times at the dog park. And I know he watches my dog get along with every dog that's there and have pleasant, positive interactions. And I have no idea where he's getting this information. You know, I don't know if he confused it with one of my other dogs because I have three, you know, I, I like my one dog is aggressive and dominant. She's older and she's sick. Right. And so she, she lashes out and I stopped taking her to the dog park. Maybe that's it. I don't know, but that was months ago, months and months ago, I stopped taking her. And, you know, um, like Paloma learned, like when he was a puppy, he would challenge, right? And, and be put in his place a little bit, but nothing ever terrible ever happened between him and another dog. And I know because I was there and I watch him like a hawk to prepare myself for situations like this. So it didn't make any sense to me. And, you know, all I could think to tell him was, I'm like, 
you know that you contribute to how the dogs interact with each other by having that opinion, right? It was something along those lines. I was trying to convey to him that your energy that you bring in dogs meeting each other has so much to do with how they will behave, right? Like it's the same thing if you, you two dogs are meeting and you're pulling on a leash and you're super nervous or anxious or whatever, those dogs are not going to have a good time meeting each other. So I always go into the dog park with so much positivity. I don't give a shit if some dog attacks my dog. I don't care. I try to, you know, like I'm, I'm as positive about it as I can be. There was one time where there was a bigger dog than Paloma that mounted him. And I didn't care, you know, like Paloma, they had a little face off or whatever. It was a little male aggression and then it was over and it was quick and it was done. The guy was so embarrassed and I was like, no, no, no. I'm like, it's fine. Don't worry. They, they're animals. <laughs> like they're communicating, right, with each other in their language. If Paloma just got mounted, it was for a reason, you know, like that's their communication, I don't perceive that as bad behavior whatsoever. And I felt bad that the guy was that embarrassed, you know? So, you know, I, like, I know that it is of no benefit to anybody for me to be reactive and confrontational and, and negative, you know, when I'm at the dog park, right? I try to make everything just, it's okay. It's all right. Oh, hi. Like, every time I see a dog, I try to compliment the dog and and, and the person and, like, just be the most positive person ever, right? And this guy was saying this about my dog and I, I just couldn't believe it. I'm like, like, just to go out of your way so much, you know, every single time I see him at the dog park and to have that shitty atti- attitude, you know, and, and, and I told him, I'm like, you you know that you're you're not helping the situation between these two by carrying that tension with you and demonizing my dog. And he was like, yeah, well... He's just like, um, and then he says to me, is he, uh, is he an intact male? And I was like, yes, yes, he is. He's only a year old. He's just a puppy. And then he says to me, well, there you go. He's like, you don't bring intact males to the dog park. And I was like, "Mm, nope, there's no signage. There's nothing like that around here. Females in heat. Yeah, that's a given, but there are plenty of intact males, you know, that are capable of of behaving properly. And, you know, my, my dog being, being an example of that, he's not hyper aggressive. He doesn't try to dominate everybody. He doesn't, isn't spray everything, you know, like he's a good dog. And that is not a rule unless it's on the dog park thing. Right. So that really annoyed the fuck out of me. I was really upset with that man. And to see him going out of his way as much as he did for as long as he did and not ever confronting me or trying to have a conversation with me, it was just like, wow. And I just stopped going. You know, it's just like my dogs and me deserve to have a positive experience. And if these are the kinds of people here, and that's not the first time I ran into somebody like that. It's like, I don't know. So all these things are really wearing on me and we're at the point now where You know, and it's like, there are so many dogs that live in Sydney that people have, and a lot of them are little dogs. And the problem with little dogs, sorry to just go off on a whole big dog tangent, but I've worked with a lot of dogs and I'm definitely venting right now. 
you know, um, the thing about little dogs is that they do not behave like they have consequences because they don't. So big dogs, when they have shitty behavior, they check each other, you know, they'll, they'll put each other in place. But little dogs, they never have consequences for being little shits, you know. They'll just sit there and just bark, 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 and lose it and just be a rabid little shit to a large dog that's crossing the street, you know, across from them or whatever, you know. They don't get consequences for that because the owner protects them and, like, obviously a big dog attacking a little dog is not fair. So they they proceed and act in life like they have no consequences, like they're spoiled and they get away with things. And large dogs, not a lot of people know that they have prey drives. So they will chase bunnies, they will chase squirrels, you know, they have prey drives, they're predators. And little tiny dogs that run and like squawk, like little rodents and stuff, that that sets off prey drive in a large dog. And so I can't take my huskies places here because you know, I've taken my my eldest on a bike and whatever. There's a little dog. She goes nuts. Rawr, 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 rawr. So it's barking at her and she's like, I'm going to catch you like a little bunny, pin you down and fucking kill you. <laughs> and so I, I want to avoid that situation altogether. So I don't really take my dogs for walks here. And also taking a husky for a walk is totally and completely pointless. They're built to run hundreds of miles per day. Taking them on the end of a meter long leash is stupid. <laughs> it's the stupidest thing in the world. They need to be off leash in order to fully exert themselves. So, so that's my, all right, that's my big dog rant. So there's lots of reasons why I don't want to be here. Victoria is a very, very liberal city, very liberal city to the point where identity politics is leaking into the school system and my son has to deal with you know different sexuality and and his teacher is like identifying herself as cisgender and like she her and her emails and stuff and I just you know it's totally inappropriate I don't need to know your sexuality or how you identify in your fucking emails and whatever like I don't care like if they're you know and they teach about this stuff in schools and, you know, they had, I don't know, I have lots of complaints about it. I don't want to really get into it because that's not specifically what this is about. I just don't resonate with or agree with any of this at all. If you want to teach more stuff in school, like there are so many other things that you could integrate into, you know, the curriculum than what's going on in pop culture and politics, you know, so... So yeah, there's been a lot of reasons since forever that I've wanted to go, but I've really tried to assimilate and it's not working. Um, and then I just kind of hit a wall with the last straw being just financially, you know, I've been carrying the burden of paying for this ridiculously priced house. I mean, it's gorgeous and it's huge and I'm, I have a wonderful, the most wonderful landlord I've ever had. Um, well, one of them anyway, and, and that's great, but I'm, you know, my house expenses are like four grand per month. And, uh, you know, I have to rent two of my rooms out to young gentlemen who are very responsible, but, you know, I have to live with strangers in my home, which I don't want to do at all. And I have to manage that and whatever, you know, so it's just, 
I have been slowly snowballing downhill with the amount of money that I'm spending and with inflation. I can't even put my finger on it. I can't even really tell you how my money is disappearing so quickly because everything is so much more expensive now that, you know, like when I go to the store, I'm dropping at least a hundred bucks just for a couple days worth of meals. And, you know, and with everything else, there's just ways that things are expensive that you can't even put your finger on, but your money's just disappearing, you know? So I finally hit a wall and I'm like, I cannot afford this. I'm house broke. All my savings are gone. I have no, I can't afford this anymore. I'm totally broke, you know? So now I'm in this position and, you know, this is where I'm at currently. I don't want to pay anybody's mortgage anymore. I don't want to like give myself the illusion that I'm, I have a home and that I'm nesting somewhere. I put so much energy into housing, like furnishing this, this house, all my beautiful furniture and things that I've worked so hard to get. And, and I just sold it and gave it all away. (laughs) You know, like I have an empty house now. Um, I'm moving out at the end of June, but giving myself the illusion that I have a home when it's someone else's home. I am so over this. I'm so over paying a completely unreasonable amount of rent just to have a roof over my head, just to have a domestic structured life for my son. You know, I am just, it is not working for me. So I'm not doing it anymore. It's crazy. I am totally house broke. It is absolutely insane to have to pay, you know, $4,000 per month in utilities and rent, um, you know, just to secure a place over your head. Like, you, <laughs> yeah, it's it's too much. It's ridiculous. Um, I've always been sort of a nomad moving every year or two. You know this about me listening to this podcast and it just works, you know, it makes sense for me to have more of a motorhome situation because I'm constantly on the move. I get itchy. I don't like staying in one place for very long. So I'm going to be moving out of here and my son is going to be staying with my mom for the summer while I figure out my next move, but it's very likely that I'll just be within the vicinity and living with my dogs and in a motorhome. But before that happens, it's kind of funny because I've always joked that I would rather live in the bush with my dogs in a tent than give them up, realizing that they're a huge hindrance to my life in the respect that I can't have a regular job with three giant, you know, very large, energetic huskies. You can't leave them at home for eight hours per day. Like you need to have some kind of like some kind of niche job that works with that working from home, ideally. So my dogs really put me back, but I don't care because I know what matters in life. And to me, what matters in life is my contentment, my, my happiness. It's not, it's not money. You know, my dogs have provided more domestic life and family for me than I ever could have reaped anywhere else because of my upbringing. I didn't have a big family. I didn't have support. I left my hometown when I was 17 because nobody was taking care of me. I made my own decisions. I cultivated my own family. Sure, they're a family of dogs. They're a family of huskies. 
can but explaining this to somebody they're not just dogs animals are so intelligent in a way that we can't explain i mean if you're a perceptive person you can see it you know and i would argue that specifically the husky breed or wolves wolf hybrids or arctic breeds they're built to survive outside you know if you let a husky go into the wild there's a good chance that it will survive it's not the same for a lab or a golden retriever you know or a shih tzu it's not the same kind of dog they're so in tuned and alert and intelligent and independent and they have their own prerogative and they remember things and they can become resentful and it's amazing it's amazing how what a companion they are and so i you know i'm so good at observing people and things and taking in information that's what i've done most of my life is this data processing you know about people and things in my environment you know uh and and i've done that and i've i've said this a thousand times before but it's a trauma response to constantly over prepare and overstimulate yourself with data about your environment to kind of avoid being you know uh in a position where people can take advantage of you or like pull a rug out from underneath you so you can anticipate everything that's headed your way so you can decrease if not avoid you know being hurt or people trying to hurt you so but you can't just turn that mechanism of thinking off once the threat is gone you continue to take in data right and for me really diving into psychology affirmed what i was processing in my brain i would take all of this data and i would align it and see the connections and anticipate and accurately pinpoint what was going to happen or who this person was or what was going on behind the scenes here you know like i reaffirmed you know the the suspicions that i had to the data that i collected and making those connections so it was beneficial to me so i didn't have a really a reason to forget that kind of data processing if you will if anything it just reaffirmed it to be hyper aware of things is extremely beneficial to me and i see that reiterated in my life over and over and so applying that kind of you know uh observer scheme where you're paying attention to that much i'm paying attention to my dog's behavior and as wild as that sounds you know there are similarities across the board between mammals and it's so funny like my dogs show me so much about myself and i learned so much about my dogs through myself like it's it's a reciprocal interta- interchangeable kind of data processing and information right i'll watch my dogs do certain things and i see the similarities in humans or i'll or i'll watch my dogs do certain things and it like clicks for me like <laughs> i was just thinking recently i'm watching my dog go through my female myana i'm watching her go through another heat cycle right and she's got these she's wearing these uh <laughs> sorry this 
this episode's so much about dogs, but bear with me. You know, so my second eldest, Mayana is Paloma's mother, but dogs do not distinguish kin when they're in heat because the pheromones are so strong, right? I'm not quite sure why that is because when they do mate, um, there's a possibility and a high chance that um, their offspring are going to have certain puppies that are going to be neurologically um, uh, like tainted, like they're not going to do well. They're going to die essentially, right? Because their, their chromosomes or whatever, there's too many of the same. And so, so anyways, but they can't differentiate that, right? The heat is so strong. And so, you know, my female, she's wearing, she's wearing dog diapers, (laughs) which is the funniest thing ever. I think it's so funny to see dogs and like t-shirts and looking like humans. (laughs) And so, you know, to deter the whole thing. But my male, my puppy Paloma, both of their behaviors are so, you can, I can, I've been watching him become just possessed. He's totally in his primal instincts. And I can see him snap out of it and then come to and then be my Paloma. Right? That's his name, Paloma. And I watch the switch, and it's triggered by different things. And one of the things is aggression. So when I'm getting mad at him, if I talk in a low, t- a low tone, right, he will immediately go to the female side and protect her. And he's willing to get vicious to protect her, right? And I watched him do this because I was experimenting a little bit, right? I continued to take a step forward and talk to him in a low tone, right, looking like a threat, and he was just rabid, snarling. My dog has never, ever bitten me and been the most amazing dog ever. But I could see this instinctual, primitive behavior triggered by my body language and my tone of voice. And so I experimented with this, you know, and then I started to back away. And then I put my voice in a higher tone. Immediately, his ears went back and he whined and he came forward and bowed his head to me to get attention from me, you know, but it was, it was just, boom, he's out of that, you know, primitive instinctual behavior. Like the, the difference between when it was turned on because it was triggered by something, you know, and, and just how protective he is of her. So the pheromones coming out of her, right. As she goes through her, her, her heat cycle, which is three weeks for dogs, you know, it's about like 10 days of her bleeding and then another 10 days of, uh, um, of, uh, of her being, um, like, like fertile in, in, in optimal breeding phase. And then it's another, uh, few days after that for her to regulate her hormones again. And so her pheromones are changing greatly and it's dictating all of his behavior and watching how he behaves in correlation to her pheromones is absolutely fascinating. You know, he is so protective of her, willing to, he has, I have to, I have to do a certain strategy to get him to actually relieve himself in the yard to, to pee and to poop because all of it shuts off for him. He's not even in tuned with his own bodily functions. Like he won't, take him out, himself out for a pee and like have his own interest in smelling around the yard and doing all of that because he's so 
brainwashed and enthralled with what's going on with her. Right. So it's, it's fascinating. Um, he's so protective of her, you know, he's obviously got this, this sexual need, right? Like he's got, his body is wanting to mate because of the pheromones. Right. And so she's not having any of it. She's snarling and, you know, we both have, I have a little spray bottle with water that I spray him with to kind of get him out of, out of that primal state. But he's so protective, so attracted to her, so obsessed with whatever she's doing and like translating this language across the board to humans and how we respond, because basically all that it is, is a concentrated version of what's going on with humans and other mammals, except it's stripping away the consciousness of of, of human beings, right? So it's basically an unevolved version of humans. So it's so funny when people say to me that, oh, gender roles are societal constructs. And I'm just like, have you ever watched a dog in heat and an intact male, like how they behave with each other? <laughs> like, this is proof enough that that argument is such bullshit. It is such bullshit. The way that this male protects her and and gets insecure and emotional about her if he thinks that you know that i'm taking control of her or i'm getting too close to her right like he, she is the center of his world right and it's a whole thing when she actually has puppies and the bond that he has with the puppies and the way that he is with them like it's just you can learn so much about human nature right and there's a degree of this. This is where it all came from in humans, but it just evolved along with the more things that we're aware of. But these urges, these very primitive states of being, you know, hunter-gatherer kind of era is just, you You just see it in play-by-play -play when you watch other mammals, right? And not just dogs, right? Like dogs are the thing that I know most about. You know, I have three dogs. I've, 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 probably birthed like 26 puppies. I've had four litters, four or five litters. Gosh, I can't remember. And, you know, so it's the thing that I know the most about and huskies I've observed the most, but, you know, in all kinds of different mammals, there's, there's things that they do that we do as well in humans. It's just a more diluted version because of how more evolved we are, but it all came from a root, this primitive root that we all have in common. And it's absolutely fascinating. I, you know, like my, oh, just, just because you can't understand something like trees and, and mushrooms and fungi, it doesn't mean that it doesn't have this intelligence and this way of communicating and evolving. You know, it's just a different way, like octopi, octopuses, <laughs> dolphins, you know, there's a different kind of communication and intelligence. And it bugs the fuck out of me, honestly. And, I, and I've seen it here. Like, I was thinking about becoming a, a dog behavioralist until I realized that I would only be helping people do the thing that I hate, you know, when I'd be working with dogs. And that's when, when people overtrain and try to overcontrol their dogs. And they don't tr respect them as animals and respect the things that they want to do and the way that they want to behave, right? When humans want to kennel them, 
you know, for eight hours a day and all of that stuff it, and, and just overtrain. I can't give you love until you do this trick. You know, do this and do this and roll over and da 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 da. And then I'll give you the street and I'll give you attention and whatever. Oh, you're behaving like that. You can't be a dog. You can't want, want have your own, you know, your own animalistic desires. Like, let's strip that the fuck out of you. Let's let's neuter you at eight months. You know, before you're even while well, you're still a fucking puppy, and before you even evolve, that to me is so fucked up that humans think they have the right to do that. And so, to me, becoming an animal, uh, a dog behavioralist, it would just be teaching people how to do that because I would have to take on work, right? And they would request, how do I get my dog to do this? How do I train my dog to do this? And like, that's what people want. And I don't want to be hired for that reason. So yeah, not to go on a giant tangent about dogs today, but seriously, it's just fascinating learning from other species. So so this is where I'm currently at with my life and, and my house and my moving situation and, you know, trying to assimilate here. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm, 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 it's, it's kind of funny. I'm coming up on a year and a half celibate. I have absolutely no interest in having a partner. Um, I just feel like it's my time right now. Like I'm, I need to do something on my own. Like I haven't fixed the things that I want to in myself. And, and, and it's never been so out of my mind to, you know, be in a partnership with somebody. And I, it's funny that I'm saying this, like, do you ever have the feeling that, do you ever have the feeling that, you know, how do I explain this? When you hear a song that's not on the radio and you found this super niche song and, you know, you're obsessed with it. And then all of a sudden it becomes popular and it's all over the radio, right? And then it seems like whatever you're doing in your life suddenly becomes what you see in the world. And it's so weird. So while I'm just over here living my own life and and going through my things and I'm like, I've learned enough lessons to realize that I feel like I need to work on myself and do a few things before I, you know, can put myself in a relationship with somebody because I don't want to be a a burden to somebody. I want to be in a position where I can benefit someone's life and I have the time and attention for them. And, but while I'm in this position, suddenly there's this flux of people like not having sex or relationships across the nation and not having babies. Like this, there's this huge situation going on right now where we're on population decline. If we continue to go the way that we're going right now, there's crazy statistics out there where, if I can remember correctly, it's like there are more women over 30 today that don't have children than there are women that do. And population collapse is a huge problem in every country across the world right now. Like it's a huge thing that we're dealing with. And people having sex and being in actual relationships, it's you know, it's a huge deal right now. Like, it's just not happening. There's the whole, you know, uh, involuntarily celibate males thing that's happening. And and women are choosier than ever about being in relationships. And there's just not as much sex happening. And people don't want to have babies. 
you know, anymore for the first time, like the majority of people don't want to have babies. And the argument is like, oh, climate change and the world is in such a terrible state of being. And it's <laughs> these arguments are absolutely preposterous. Like, like to me, like I, like before I even looked into this, I was laughing because it seems so obvious to me that the world is in a better place than it has ever been in all of human existence. We are safer and, and more in abundance than we ever have been in all of existence, you know, and it's crazy to me that people use the state of the world as an excuse to not have children because it's just like people before us in eras before us had children in way more, you know, like questionable and dangerous times. Wars and famine and rape and pillaging and literally poverty that was unlike any poverty we've seen today. You know, it's just, especially when it comes to the Western world and people not wanting to have children here for these reasons, you know, and then don't even get me started on climate change. Like, listen, I know that there's a lot of people out there that believe in climate change and all of this. And everybody's entitled to their opinion. I'm not saying that I know everything to be true, yada, yada, yada. And I certainly don't believe anyone else to have the an- the answers, you know, the be all end all, the, the, the for sure truth of everything. Nobody really knows, knows, knows the truth of something that that is that big. But I can say wholeheartedly and confidently that of the scope of our planet Earth's life over billions of years and Billions is a word in a time scope that few can actually grasp the magnitude of billions, hundreds of millions in billions of years, okay? Humans have populated the earth for literally just a fraction of a speck of time on the lifespan of our planet Earth. And to think that we have had that much of an impact where we are taking credit for changing the way that the world is in terms of global warming. Oh, that's all coming from us. You know, to suggest that the world isn't that the earth isn't going through its own organic cycle, that it's just not doing its thing like it has been doing for billions of years, that we have that much of an impact that we're changing the composition of the earth. That is such an overtly self-absorbed and selfish thing to me. It's such a human thing to say, to think that we have that much of an impact. Our inconspicuous selves have that much of an impact on our planet Earth that is, that will, <laughs> has outlived us trillions of times over. You know, that makes no sense to me, that argument. 
the earth is going through its own cycles like it has been doing for billions of years. Whether we're here or not, it will continue to go through those cycles. Climate change is a huge advantage and a money grab for so many organizations and people and politics and whatever. I do not believe in climate change. And regardless of if I did or if I didn't, even if I did believe in climate change, it would not stop me from living my fullest life. And that would mean as if, as a woman, if I wanted to have children, I would not let climate change stop me from doing so. It's not like climate, even in, even in the proclaimed studies of climate change, you know, of when the ice caps are melting or when this is going to happen and whatever, it's not going to happen in our lifetime, in our grandchildren's lifetime, in our grandchildren's grandchildren's lifetime. It's not happening for a while. So to, to fear monger yourself to the extent where you won't have children, you won't have a lineage, you won't procreate, you won't embrace the beauty of having children for the reason of climate change, it just doesn't make any fucking sense at all to me. It just sounds like more political jargon from, <laughs> I won't get into it, from wherever I came from. It just sounds like absolute bollocks to me. So, yeah, but my original point was, isn't it funny? Like, I don't know if anybody else has ever realized this, but it just seems like, like I can, rec- I, <laughs> this is a funny story. There's this song that became so popular and it is this song that I stumbled across before it was even popular. And, you know, my, my friend and I at the time we were doing acid together and we stumbled across this song and it was such a catchy song and, oh my God, I don't remember the name of it now. Um, Tadao by, um... F- FKJ and, and something rather. But it's that one that's like, do, 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 when she hit me like, do, Like it's, oh, it's so good. Well, the thing's so beautiful, do, Like, oh, it's so good. I'm butchering it. Um, but so I found this song a couple of years before it went off on the rails. If anybody that doesn't know, like it's it became super mainstream. It just like, like across the world. Okay. So I started listening to this song and before it was ever popular and I was obsessed with it and it was such a good song. And then all of a sudden in an instant it took off and it was everywhere. And you know, my girlfriend from, she went to Costa Rica and she's like, dude, Look what's playing on the screen right now. <laughs> she was playing me this song when it first started taking off. I was like, no way. And then it just, I've had so many instances in life like that where if my attention is suddenly drawn somewhere, it, it almost feels like it, it's completely aligned with everything that's happening in the, in the world. You know, like suddenly I'm attracted to this kind of style or this kind of music and you know, then I'll notice it. I don't know if it's that thing where, you know, there's an also a different like paradigm of thinking that comes into this where, you know, how you, you get your first car and then, you know, you start noticing that same model everywhere you go where you didn't even notice how many there were on the road before. Like this is happening to me as well, right? Like my first car was a Ford Focus. 
right? And all of a sudden I started noticing everywhere I went, oh, look, there's a Ford Focus for, that's my car, that's my car, that's my car, right? But I didn't notice them before, right? So I don't know if it's kind of that thing, right? Where you just notice it more, and but then, but then there's also the other thing where I almost feel like I'm dictating my own universe, you know, like the things that I'm paying attention to are creating the world around me. And it just gets into this freaky thinking where, you know, if you're not thinking it, is it really happening? Is this kind of Einstein way of thinking about things. What He had this famous quote. Um, oh, no. What is it? He said, is the moon really there? Is the dark side of the moon there if you're not looking at it? Does it, is it actually there? Does it exist? And that, oh, opens up such a can of worms for me. I remember thinking about this kind of stuff when I went through a particular time in my life. I started painting and I started getting into new ageism and like crystals and, and like barf for me now. But, <laughs> and, and hey, I just want to say, I don't like certain things. They don't resonate with me. But if you like certain things and they resonate with you, that's okay. You don't have to get offended or be upset at the fact that I don't like certain things and I let, and I'm like talking shit about them. Okay? That's the beauty of being human and individualism. And I just want to say that in today's world. And I just want to clarify that. There's plenty of things that I don't that I hear about single mothers. Are you kidding me? That I'm like, "Oh, fuck. <laughs> That's terrible." But it's like, that's okay that people have those opinions, right? So for me, I just, I don't believe in crystals and tarot cards and all that shit, you know, and, and new ageism. Like I've, I, I've lived it. I've, I got into all that shit. I was like, like hyper interested in, in it. And, you know, having been there and back again, I have my own opinions after experiencing it. But so this interesting it's like, does if, if a tree falls in the forest, does it make any sound, right? It's kind of like this idea of, is something actually alive if you aren't there to witness it, right? And it's super interesting because it's like, if you, if you were to think about your thoughts in the way of your thoughts actually being the defining line in like constructing things right with with information like for okay for example I gotta explain this as best I can here so you know a chair okay so think of a chair we would not know that that is a chair without someone uttering th those those verbal utterances chair right? We'd have to hear it from someone in order to identify that as a chair. We have this kind of data that we've applied to that. And with that data, with that data, there's a, a degree of significance, you know, and there's many things, there's many other things that we couldn't, we could say about the chair as far as we understood it at the time, right? Like a carpenter could say, I made that chair. It's made out of oak. And then someone else could say, well, I finished that chair, you know, with this stain and this kind of finish. And the more that we get to learn about that chair, the more of an identity it has. 
And the more that we feel that and we think about it and we acknowledge it when we see the chair, right? But if our brains didn't have all of that data to make up that genetic, uh, I would even say atomic makeup of that thing, you know, would it exist if, if, if it was just benign to our minds, if we weren't able to apply all of that data to it? You know, I'm not sure if I can explain this in a way that makes sense to people. To me, it does, you know, like if you don't acknowledge, if there's absolutely no part of your mind that can see something or acknowledge it, acknowledge it or, or know anything about it, does it really exist, right? So, I mean, think about the universe, right? So we pretty much can see and we've learned about everything here on earth, not everything, but Okay, so think about something that's a little more elusive to us, like black matter and the universe and and the the infinite scope of the universe and how little we know about the universe, right? We only know what we know about it. And so everything beyond that doesn't exist because we can't apply that data to it, right? So, So I just actually pulled up the quote now and it's like, Do you really believe that the moon is there if you are not looking at it? So it's the similar context. It's, it's like expecting to see something with all of the data that we know that makes it real. Right. And it's, I feel like this is so prevalent in, you know, religion and placebo and, you know, I think, and belief and prayer, I feel like there are so many things that appear because we see it. We believe that we see it. We believe that it, it exists, right? And, and how I want to attach these two, these two thoughts into kind of the same thing is that I think that our brains, when it comes to this stuff, perceiving things are there, right? And, and the data that we take in about such things, right? It's like, our brains are so powerful in what we can perceive from something. Essentially, you can brainwash yourself into thinking anything, into seeing anything. If you really try, you can. Like, honestly. Like, life is, <laughs> life is literally about brainwashing yourself in the right way that suits you and the way that you want to, right? You can brainwash yourself into thinking anything, really. I mean, but the thing that we have to hold it to measure it against, right, is what we know about the earth that gives it substantiality, right? So, but <laughs> but the thing, the funny thing about it is that we don't really know anything. <laughs> so... When, when you think about, okay, I know, science, all right? So science, people like to pretend that science is irrefutable. Like science is the be all end all. Like, oh, it's science. But science is just a tool of measurement, okay? And science itself and the tools of measurement that come with it, along with mathematics, along with everything else that we use to categorize and make distinctions between things 
It's all just measurements and a way of referring from one thing to another, right? So you could completely wipe the earth of all of its information in mathematics and science. You could wipe the universe of this and start us off all as naked Adam and Eve's and have to start from scratch. And we could come up with an entirely different way of measuring and categorizing our world um, with different names and ways of making connections between things scientifically, mathematically, you know, that's completely different from what we do now, but it makes sense because it's an accurate way of measuring. It's just like numbers. It's a pattern, right? So, so in that respect, it's just, we just have good tools of measurement that seems to work for what we have going on here on earth. But in terms of like the truth, you know, how do you define the truth of something? Like the, the truth <laughs> we have, like it depends on what scale you're referring to, right? When you're thinking about the whole, like I'm right now, I'm thinking I'm in the, I'm lost in the idea of there being existence and a limitless universe and us floating on a rock, a rock that is billions of years old. And we have no idea how we got here or how we evolved. And we have no idea if there's life on other floating masses of rocks. And the sun being, I can't remember how many times bigger than our floating mass of rock, but such magnitude that you can't even imagine how large the sun is, this thing that we supposedly orbit around every day you know, along with how many other planets are there, you know, and then each planet has their moon. And like, it's just unfathomable. It's so beyond, you know, and then we want to claim when you think about all that stuff and think about humans, right? Humans have this need. We want to claim we have science. We know what's going on. You know, we, <laughs> we have distinguished this and this. And I just, there's something so funny about that to me. You know, it's like a little, it's like a little tiny ant in the middle of a billion ants on an anthill, right? On an anthill in the middle of a hundred million uh, large field, in the middle, in the middle of a of the Sahara Desert on the moon, and then that little tiny ant is saying, "We know actually how everything works. We have all the answers." I would look at that little ant and be like, "What the fuck? Who do you think you are? <laughs> like, what do you think you're talking about? You think that you know <laughs> the magnitude that you are trying to describe." that you are trying to measure, you know, like you might have an idea and that's very good of your little bubble, which is earth, right? We have an idea of earth because we have enough people and things to bounce data off of and have it confirmed and validated and tested over and over and over again. However, there are still huge pieces of earth that we don't understand 
you know, and, and huge pieces of other mammals and other species that we don't understand here, right? But the, the pompous, the pompous, like, egotisticalness of it all, of humans thinking that we are superior in any way, that we have got it figured out, that we, da-da-da-da-da, when we are nothing, we are bullshit when it comes to existence. <laughs> like, it is pretty laughable when you think about it in that context, is it not? You know, it's pretty laughable. And when people get real caught up in their feelings and emotions and being offended, it's like, man, if I could just pick up that person and put them right on a fucking mountaintop, put them on something that was way bigger than themselves so that they could experience that majestic feeling that you're just an insignificant ant in a sea of something you don't understand. You know, how offended are you going to be then? Little humility. Everybody needs that majestic humility that nature provides, that creatures provide, you know, other, other mammals, you know, God damn, I'm humbled by my talks on a regular basis, but being open-minded, oh, there's so much I could say in closing here, but God damn, it's overwhelming, isn't it? The scope of everything. This makes no sense. <laughs> But, but we have to cling to some sense to make it make sense, you know? Anyway, so I wanted to dip my toes back in here to say hello. And, uh, you know, there's been so many things I've wanted to talk about. Uh, like I said, I've got recorded episodes. But I think that there's been a lot involved in terms of me second-guessing myself or like I... I, I couldn't get through it edit, edited enough or something. I don't know what it was. It just, it was a pause for me. And now I'm in this state where there's lots going on and I'm moving and whatever. And so just keeping it real as much as I possibly can, you know. Um, and I appreciate you being here. I, I don't know why, but there was a significant amount of listeners that increased recently. And when I saw that, I was completely caught off guard because I hadn't posted anything in so long. And immediately, I just got emotional because, you know, I just, to be heard for something that's, you know, I'm not sit, sitting here trying to flatter myself. I'm sitting here trying to speak for something that I think is important. And for people wanting to listen to that, it's like, it was just pretty cool. <laughs> it was pretty cool. So thanks for being there. And uh, I'll see you next time, which will be soon. It won't be such a long time. It won't be such a long time until my next episode. So, all right. Thank you.